0: Integrated Living Australia acknowledges Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs, and to elders both past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome. My name is Catherine Daly, CEO of Integrated Living Australia, a community-based health and aged care service provider. I'm thrilled to be welcoming you to our brand new platform, our Live Well podcast. As the media and digital landscape evolves, we want to be able to offer our clients, team members and listeners more broadly, a new way to hear from us. Our Live Well podcast is for everyone in our Integrated Living Australia community and for anyone who loves a great story. Each edition will speak directly with Integrated Living Australia staff, our support workers, registered nurses and people from across the country and hear their stories, those on the front line who deliver exceptional care to thousands of older Australians in regional, rural and remote areas. The story you're about to hear is no exception. Join us as we speak with support worker Janine Lucas about the special bond she's formed with client Joe, who lives in Burnie, Tasmania.
1: In April 2020, the small Tasmanian city of Burnie made national headlines due to a COVID-19 outbreak that infected 127 people and claimed 11 lives. The city's hospital was shut down, the army was called in, and hundreds of staff were sent home to quarantine. Restrictions on the city's residents were imposed, leaving many unable to leave their home. Amongst the uncertainty, was Integrated Living Australia support worker Janine Lucas, who was determined to continue caring for her client, Joe. Janine spent nine weeks away from friends and family, even celebrating her 60th birthday alone in her home. With a rich lineage of family who have and continue to serve in the forces, Janine believes her sacrifice is nothing in comparison to Joe's. The 96-year-old served in the Australian Army during the Second World War, manning spotlights in Sydney as a teenager. Joe is one of the only remaining female World War II veterans living on the northwest coast of Tasmania. The idea of sacrifice may be different for Joe and Janine, but it's a notion that binds them together. I'm Mark Atchison, communications partner at Integrated Living Australia, and I travelled to Burnie to unearth this remarkable story. Well, Joe, thank you for having me in your lovely home and Janine in your community of Burnie. It's a pleasure to be here and hear about your story, both your stories. Janine, can you tell me a bit about your, your background and a day in the life as, of a support worker?
2: Um, my day in the life as a support worker, wow. <laughs> I hit the ground running. Joe's my first client of a day and my last. So I get to start the day with a beautiful smiley face and finish the day with a beautiful smiley face. And my days can go from three-hour days to nine-hour days, depending on the rostering. And we do everything from personal care, house cleaning, taking guys out for coffee, going for walks. Oh, I do a lot of walks. <laughs> um or just sitting around the house having a coffee with a client, having a chit chat about the past. Um, I grew up on a farm, so my dad was a sheep farmer. Uh, my son's a farrier, horses. So I get on really well with a lot of the country people because their backgrounds are very similar to mine. Mm-hmm. And um, but this job is the dream job. <laughs>
1: What was it like first having a Janine come into your home? Was it a little bit daunting or what was, the, what was the prospect like of having somebody come and look after you in your home?
3: I appreciate it very much because I can't do it anymore. That's the unfortunate part. You want to do it but you can't do it. But, no, I appreciate it all and it's nice to, to know that somebody's coming in of a day... Uh, makes my sandwiches and she fixes my lunch up and, and dinner up and whatever. So, you know, and no, I think we get on fine. When she's not here there's two or three others come and they're all nice people. But we must have that cup of coffee and Bicky.
1: That's, and your, little, that's, that's your little ritual ritual, is it? <laughs>
3: yeah. Oh yeah, to have the yeah. Yes, that's it. No, I'm. I'm very happy with the girls I've got. Janine, she bosses me around. <laughs> 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 Don't tell her, will you? Now, Joe,
1: what's it like to stay in your home? What's it like to stay in? It? Yeah, as yeah. as as you age, Joe. I I like to stay in my
3: home. I will till I can can't do it anymore. Then I'll see sense and do what people want me to do. But at the moment I'm quite happy with the way things are and uh, I'm quite happy here. In the summertime i got that sunroom out the front there and uh, spend most of the day out there. There, But no, I'm happy here. Yeah as long as nobody tries to tell me I've got to go into a nursing home or something. No.
2: No, you don't do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Janine, I'll I'll turn the attention to you for a second. It was uh, this time roughly last year that uh, Bernie had the unique circumstances of going into lockdown. Now, that was because of the hospital and the hospital closure due to the many COVID cases up there. Can you tell me what the mood was like in Burnie?
2: Uh, Very quiet. It was very eerie. You could be like drive from here to Wynyard and back and not see a soul, not even a car on the highway, which is unusual. Uh, getting pulled over by the police for compliance checks to make sure that you were actually working and not just going to visit somebody. It was, yeah, it was quite scary, I guess you could say.
1: So, Janine, tell us what you did uh, in order to take care of Joe during uh, Bernie's unique circumstances and lockdown.
2: Uh, I gave up my family and friends for the nine weeks. I sort of didn't see anybody, just went to work, went home, and did the groceries at 7 o'clock on a Tuesday morning when you were allowed to go in. and saw my dad from a distance when I bought him his groceries and took them down to him, put him in the middle of his backyard, yelled out, I love you, and hopped in the car and drove away.
1: <laughs> is, is that because of the unique circumstances of the industry you work in and, yeah. and, and you, you didn't want any, I guess, I didn't exposure? want to
2: run the risk of catching anything or passing anything on to any of uh, the clients. And there was a few of the girls did the same thing. We we just sort of put our lives on hold for the job.
1: So you went nine weeks without seeing your partner or your family. Yep. What was that like? Hard. Yep.
2: Video calls. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of video calls. Mm,
1: mm. And your sixtieth as well. Tell us about that. You'll you'll never forget that.
2: (laughs) I'll never forget that. That was spent at home by myself with the dog and the cat.
1: (laughs) What went through your mind?
2: I hate COVID. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All I wanted to do was go out to dinner for my birthday and um, I had uh, a florist dropping flowers off in the middle of the front path, so to speak, and then waiting for them to leave so I could go out and get them. Um, yeah, so it was a very, very quiet birthday.
1: But you you did it?
2: Yeah, you just had to do it and you had to get on.
1: The idea of sacrifice comes from, I guess we could say, your long line of uh, family in in the forces. Do you see a synergy there as to what you did to help Joe during the lockdown? The idea of sacrifice to you is not new.
2: No, it's not. No. Um, I guess you could say that, yeah, doing the, giving everything up at the time was a bit like, people in the forces giving up things for the betterment of others and, I guess, growing up in a military family, um, that was instilled in me right from being young that, yeah, it's only for a set time. You give it up for the betterment of others and then you can go back to what you were doing before. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So you're able to see past that short-term, I guess, uh, tough period of time for the long-term benefit of others.
2: Yeah. It wasn't going to last forever.
1: That's what you have that's, to tell yourself, even
2: even during, your, even during
1: your sixtieth. <laughs> oh, yeah,
2: <laughs> Yep, no, it's not going to last forever. Mm, so. Yeah.
1: And that's must. That's what you must appreciate about Joe as well. Having having served, is there that common connection there too?
2: I think so. Um, I'm as proud as punch of anybody that joins the forces and the sacrifices that they give up, putting their lives on hold for the benefit of everybody else and especially during wartime. And I think anybody that joined the forces and went to war, be it World War Two or modern day, I think they're heroes.
1: And tell us about your family.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> um, well, my son was in the Air Force, my uncle was in the army, Vietnam. Grandfather was in World War Two. Great grandfather was in World War One. Great great uncle was buried um, at Gallipoli. Uh, cousin, Navy, joined the Air Force. Um, other cousins are in the army and the Air Force. Uh, very military family. Yeah.
1: Joe, can you tell me about your time? serving in the armed forces. You were based in in Sydney, were you not?
3: What we did was searchlights. We were along the coast and they had the searchlights and the signals with the guns and we worked with them. And what we did, if certain planes came over at certain times. You had to have a, what we called it, code of the day. And if they didn't bring that code on, then we knew we were in trouble. We had our moments, you know, that we were very busy. We had planes come over and we had planes, yell you know, Tiger Moth, you ever see a Tiger Moth? No, it was a, a biplane and they used to have it up for practice. And they'd come over and we'd pretend to be killing them and <laughs> put the light on and guns be going and searchlights would be going, you know. So I don't know what the people in Sydney thought, but we were there to protect them. So, yeah. But it's just something you felt you had to do. And
1: How old were you when you went <laughs> I- up to Sydney, Joe?
3: Well, I wasn't old enough to join the um, the air force at sixteen, so they told me to go. They told me to come back when I was eighteen. So, so I went down to the army and and asked them, and it wasn't long before he was <laughs> signed on the dotted line. They they took anyone. <laughs> That's what I reckon. It was the middle of June when I went in, and it was freezing cold, and I. Army had shifted from Broadmast to Brighton Camp. We didn't have beds. We had a pallets of straw on the floor, three blankets, no pillows, no, and it was freezing cold. You could see the drips of ice, you know, in the hut. But uh, towards the end, we was there to uh, to do our Oh, what you. In Anyway, we learned how to march and how to salute and all that sort of thing. And that was my introduction to the army. We spent time there in Berry Street, it was called, and then we went to Awaga, Kapuga, I was there I think nearly three months learning how to, you know, dismantle guns, dismantle the searchlight and march and salute and you name it. All, all the sort of things that they do in the army. And we had the Yanks. We had food, which I don't think we ever eat. So we used to put it in the garbage and go over to the Yanks and and they, they had everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so.
1: What was that experience like, Joe? I mean, being like, being my age, I can't comprehend. You can't
3: comprehend it, no. Well, we couldn't either. We were only, well, 18-year-old kids, you know, and never been away from home, it's sort of business, and then plonked into a five-man tent with five... Different people, uh, you had to sort of adjust yourself. It, uh, we seemed to get on all right. But uh, no, it had its moments and it had its good moments and its. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Now, Joe, all this time later, you will be going to the Anzac Parade this Sunday. Oh, the Anzac Parade. Yeah. How does it feel to attend your first Anzac Parade as yeah. a civilian?
3: Well, the only one I went in was in Sydney and they had the... It was terrific, really. They had um, the men and the women. They had the four women and the four men, eight across, and it was terrific uh, march, but apart from that, when I come back to Tassie, I think, no, I always thought that Anzac was for the men to get together with their buddies and have a talk and that, you know. I, I've never thought about it till Madame here got, <laughs> got into business. So so I don't
1: know what's going to happen. So Does it feel special that you'll be able to attend your first Anzac Day parade as a civilian? Here,
3: yeah, yeah. So you'd have to ask. If
1: she, <laughs> she knows it all. She, uh, she's modest, isn't yeah. she, <laughs> Janine? What's it going to mean to see um, Joe a part of the ANZAC Day parade as as a civilian and as a uh, somebody that served, especially this this idea around the fact that she's one of the only women here on the northwest coast that served during World War Two.
2: I think it's going to be very special, very very special, um, being that we think she's the only one on the coast, and the first civilian march. Even though we're in a car, it doesn't matter. Um, just the pride in seeing Joe there at the cenotaph. So no, I think it. I think it's really good, and and I do believe in going that extra mile for uh, all my clients. But my veterans especially, my DVA clients, Mm. um, I don't think you can thank them enough. Nothing I don't think is too good for these guys. If you,
0: a family member or friend is interested in learning more about Integrated Living Australia's services, head to our website at www.integratedliving.org.au or call us on 1300 782 896 or follow us on social media by searching Integrated Living Australia. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of the Live Well podcast.